as we continue our look at the book of Psalms, and we'll be dipping in and out different places, different categories of Psalms, and I'll let you know today falls into the category of a Psalm of Lament uh, and so much more. But before we ever get there, on the 8th of December, 1941, at 12.30 p.m., President Franklin Delano Roosevelt stood before Congress and gave a speech only a day after the Empire of Japan's strike on the United States naval base of Pearl Harbor. The Japanese had declared war on the U.S. and on the British Empire. And in that speech, President Roosevelt used a phrase that is often used to identify the speech. He said, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. If you are old enough, and most of us in the congregation today are, you will remember another date which will live in infamy infamy for the people of our country. September 11th, 2001. It was a time of great fear in this nation. Many of us still remember where we were when we heard the news. Um, I was in substituting a, a class of sixth graders when one of the teacher's aides yanked open the door and said they've bombed the Pentagon and the World Trade Center and left. And now I have 20 sixth graders who are terrified. We remember that date. And it cannot pass without us remembering. It was a horrible time. A frightening time. That made a lot of changes in our culture. It changed forever the way we get on an airplane, doesn't it? And it was real and it was powerful and people were afraid. In early 2003, Rachel, Jessica, my daughter, and I were preparing to make a return trip home from family with friends in Texas. At the moment, our nation was posed uh, to enter into war with Iraq as part of the war on terrorism. And when the war began, I'm sure that you, like me and many others, watched intently and listened to every bit of news we could have. And like me, your heart sank when you heard the news of the first American casualties, combatant and non-combatant alike. Members of our congregation here actually took part in the endeavor of Iraq and spent time earlier in Kuwait. Even though the war had not yet started when we were getting ready for our trip, I still remember on that trip back from Texas uh, facing a fear that bordered between rational and irrational. And I'll explain the irrational. To be honest, at that point, I had not yet considered, given much thought to any kind of immediate threat to myself or my family, the church I served, the people I lived around. That is, until I listened to the news. 
And just as we're ready to get back on the road, a newscaster reported that the government told us we are under a high terrorist alert. And particularly, we were being encouraged to keep an eye out for suspicious activities on highways and bridges. And guess what I was about to do? Get on a highway? And as soon as I thought about that, my mind crossed to the Mississippi River Bridge at Vicksburg. The bridge that we were going to be crossing to make our way home. And when I thought of that bridge, the next thing that leaped into my mind rather quickly was that would be a logical terrorist target. So you can imagine the rest of my thoughts and where they went from that point. By the way, police were, presence was clearly visible that day. I saw more police presence in that one trip than I have, I think, in every trip I've made to Texas and back again in 30 years. So in the face of fears, part of me saying, it's not going, it's not going, it's not going to happen. It just won't. And part of me thinking, but it could. I did the only thing I knew to do. With my wife, I prayed. I went to the Lord and I will confess that part of me still felt a little bit silly being afraid of crossing a bridge I'd crossed I don't know how many times. But I also knew myself well enough to know the only way I was going to calm my fear and my spirit was not through whistling in the dark, but going to my Father. Now today I bring this up. Because I believe across our land, there is a great deal of fear among families and individuals. This world is at war in many places. And there are military folks battling that are quite uncertain if they'll ever make it home again. There are too often non-combatants who are in fear of this as well. In this country, we're facing another election year. And I won't say much about it, but this. There are people on both sides of the equation who are terribly afraid of what will happen if the candidate they want to win loses. And so rhetoric is building and and there's a lot of fear being brewed. What might happen? If you watch local news, Natalie meant the little announcement notifications that come on her phone. I get those kind of notifications too. And there are a lot of people here on the Gulf Coast who are afraid. They've heard many accounts of violence. Sometimes it involves young people. Sometimes it's involving older people. Sometimes it's people who don't know each other, like uh, drive-by shootings. Sometimes it's family members killing. And even though criminal stats are down in a lot of areas, there are still people who live with this fear and this threat of violence almost every day of their life. And then there's a fear. We begin, we've begun to see in the last 20 years or so a pushback against organized religion. And now there are a lot of folks afraid. What if our liberties are taken away? What if what we've always been able to do we no longer can? In the face of fear, need I also mention even health, not only of ourselves, of those we love. 
In the face of fear, what do we do? Well, today we're going to examine a moment in David's life recorded in the psalm we'll be looking at. He found himself running from one enemy, he winds up in the hands of another enemy. And he had a reaction. So today we're going to take a look at an incredible psalm, Psalm 56. And I'd ask you if you would stand as we, as I share with you the Word of God, if you're able. And I'm going to do something different, very different from what I regularly do. And those of you who've been with me as I preach through Psalms, Psalms, you'll know I rarely do this. I'm going to give you the heading of this psalm. Now understand, all those little words that happen in your Bible that are before the actual psalm itself, those aren't inspired by the Spirit. Those were added much after the time the scriptures were written and declared to be God's word. But they can give us some insight. And so this is what it says. To the choir master, according to the dove of far off terebinths, a midcom of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And I'll share with you really quickly a couple of things that we don't know what it means. The dove of far off terebinths was probably a tomb. A midcom, nobody knows what that is. It only shows up in a few psalms. They think it some may have something to do with rhythm, whatever. We don't know. But what does zero us in is that last statement, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So keep that in mind as we look at the word. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And God, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. So here we have David, once again in in trouble. And he gives a lament. I have a lot of enemies and they're trying to destroy me, God. He does have a word of of faith, of expectation. I trust in God and, and I shall not be afraid. But this psalm has something to teach us. When we look how David handled his situation, if you would have going out of the frying pan into the fire, still more problems, how he handled his fear There are lessons for us to learn. And so we're going to look at these lessons and hopefully come to terms with what we're supposed to do in the face of fear. When fear comes, how do we handle it? 
Well, the very first lesson, let us acknowledge the causes of fear. Let's acknowledge it. Let's not pretend. Let's not play like the world is a nice place where everybody loves each other, where all we need is a bottle of Coke to stand on a hillside and link arms and say, I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Let's acknowledge it. When you look at David, David had reason to be afraid. And in 1 Samuel 21, 10-15, if you want to make that reference, you can go back and look at it. Read that chapter. The scripture says that David was had been running from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. And so David goes of all places to Gath, the city of Gath. And Achish is the king of that city. And in Samuel, we find out what happens. He's gone to Gath, hoping to find refuge from Saul. And what he gets when he gets there is a group of men going to the king and say, He's the one! He killed Goliath! And he's out to bring our downfall. And the scripture says, tells us what David's reaction was. It tells us very clearly. In verse 12, the scripture says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, a king of Gath. Now Derek Kigner has pointed out the dilemma. Imagine, the king of Israel wants you dead. He's made that clear. And there's no turning back from that. And so he runs, and he goes to Gath. And I'm not sure why, but Kidner wrote, to have fled from Saul to Gath of all places, the hometown of Goliath, took the courage of despair. In other words, the only way he was able to go to Gath, at the moment, he was more afraid of Saul. So he's trying to find help. And what happens, Kidner says, when he gets there, instead of finding help, he is now doubly encircled. Enemies on every side. When I think about this, and I I acknowledge the Scripture says, at that point, David was afraid. And I look at us. And I look at the world in which we live. I understand David's fear... Because my plan hasn't really worked out the way I thought it would. Folks, the reality for us, the causes of fear, true fear, are abundant all around us. Now, there are fears in this world that don't make sense. Now, I'm not going to mock anyone who's afraid of spiders or snakes, because I know you'll get me when we get outside and beat me. There are fears that are rational, but there are some fears that just aren't. And sometimes those fears seem a little bit humorous to us because they're not our fears. Robert Morgan wrote about some of these kind of fears. He said, strange fears possess the souls of many. Even some great ones of the earth have not been free from them. Dr. Samuel Johnson, who is one of the major intellectual powers of his day, with he says, with all of his philosophy, was very careful not to enter a room with his left foot foremost. If by any chance he did so, he would immediately 
step back, and then enter again with his right foot. He was also terribly afraid of death and would not allow anyone to mention it in his presence. Julius Caesar, to whom the shouts of thousands of the enemy were but sweet music, was mortally afraid of the sound of thunder and always wanted to be underground to escape the dreadful noise. Maurice de Saxon, who was the Marshal General of France over all of the armies of France, who loved to look upon the ranks of opposing animals, armies, fled and screamed in terror at the sign of a cat. Ready to go into war, and a cat scared him. Peter the Great could scarcely be persuaded to cross a bridge, and whenever he placed his foot on one, he would cry out with fear. This sounds funny to us, because I'm not afraid of cats, and thunder doesn't particularly bother me. But many of the fears we have have to do with real world issues. Again, illness, death, the fear of abandonment, the loss of security, and so on. And as I've already mentioned, our world is at war in many ways, and we're not sure where this will ultimately end. We have not declared war ourselves, but the U.S. has made retaliatory strikes at groups that have attacked our military forces in the Gulf. And there is fear what will happen now. Will we have to face something similar to 9-11 in our country today? A lot of folks afraid of what might happen. Some of the fears that more strikes will come are giving people a sense of deja vu. Here's what I want you to know and understand. We need to honestly face our fears rather pretend that we are not afraid. The scripture was not quiet on the fact that David was scared when he stood in Gath. Now, I mentioned the phrase whistling in the dark. Many of you will know what I'm talking about, but it's basically something you do when you want to tell your brain it's not as bad as you thought. It's not as bad as it could be, so you're pretending. Whistling in the dark means you're trying to convince yourself things are not bad, but I believe it's much better for us to be honest that there are things out there that we cannot control on our own. There are things out there that can happen that we have no way of avoiding than to think everything's going to be okay. I think we need to be prepared. Because if I'm aware this frightens me, then I'm aware I need help. Which brings me to our next lesson. Let us seek to understand the cure of fear. Let's seek to understand the cure. How do we get through fear? How do we have victory when we're afraid? When you look at David and how he is responding to the fear of what's happening in Gath, David understood that the cure of his fear did not lie within him. Now, he did take action. If you read 1 Samuel, it's kind of funny the way he decided to handle the situation. He pretended to be insane. He 
looked the part, he acted the part, and when Achish sees him, he says, why are you bringing this crazy man to me? So it's a real problem, a real issue, a real pain. But David says, I need to do something. But in our psalm, will you notice that when he says, I shall not be afraid, in other words, I'm not going to let this fear stop my faith, David took action, but he knew, and his fear was overcome when he trusted in the Lord. He held out hope. God's on my side. And then there's one of the most beautiful little poetic things in verse 4. I did not know that my mom, when I was a little boy, was actually quoting Scripture to try to help me when I was crying. I remember so many times my mom would say, let me catch your tears and put them in the bottle. I had no idea that that's what the Scripture said about David. David said, not about his mom though, God, you put my tears in a bottle. Now this was basically an animal skin that had been folded up into corners and made in, had an opening that would hold liquid. And then he said, and you're writing them down as well, aren't you? The, the idea behind this, when I am afraid, God, when I am hurting, I know that you are intimately aware of my pain. I'm not out there in the world facing it on my own. I'm not out there trying to get strength and be brave on my own. You are the one who delivered me from the bear, who delivered me from the lion, who delivered me from Goliath. And now I believe you're going to deliver me here as well. David is saying, I am trusting that you are going to deal with my enemies. And so with that assurance, looking to God, understanding where his help came from, he declared at that point, man can't do anything to me that my God cannot handle. So I'm not going to be afraid. I refuse to stay in fear. I shall not be afraid. And I think the, the, the fact that he says, I shall not, looking toward a future aspect of it, he has, he has acknowledged, yes, there's been fear, but not anymore. Because I know you're with him. And again, when it comes down to us, folks, we are not able to calm all the fears we have in life. The things we're afraid of, we, we normally will try to make steps that will help us. We try to live wisely, make wise decisions. But sometimes when we seem to have done everything right, it still goes wrong. In Tales of a Tardy Oxcart, Chuck Swindoll talks about a woman who responded to fear in a very natural way. Her name was Mrs. Monroe, and she lived in Darlington, Maryland. She's a mother of eight children, and other than the number of kids, she's pretty much a normal mom. She came home from the afternoon one day from the grocery, and as she entered the house, she noticed it was a lot quieter than normal. And she went in and put her grocery bags down and she looked into the living room and her five, five of her little darlings were sitting in a circle and were very quiet. Now, 
that is normally a sign of something, isn't it, parents? Sometimes when they're quiet, we need to find out what it is. So she very quietly walked over to her children and looked over them. And these five little darlings were playing so contentedly and so quietly with five of the cutest little skunks you could ever hope to see. And Mama did what Mama was wrought to do. Run, children! Run! And her five little darlings obeyed her. But each one grabbed one of the skunks as they were running. And she was even more terrified and screamed out even louder. And the kids, now terrified, squeezed their skunks. And as Morgan points out, as we probably well know, skunks don't like to be squeezed. She did. She was wanting to get her kids to safety and paid a horrible price. Now, we may actually take care of some of the problems in our lives and still have fear. The truth is simple. We cannot keep ourselves or those around us safe. The idea that we can control the safety of the people we love is a little naive. Now, we can take steps to make ourselves safer. But folks, none of us in this building know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen for sure when we get in our cars and leave this building. We cannot avoid all the trouble and struggles of life. Many of them come and surprise us. So what do we do? We must learn to trust that God on His throne will take care of His children. We've got to come to the place of exercising the faith that brought us to God to begin with. That He was the solution to our need for salvation. That He was the solution for our need for hope. And this is what we need to do. David was absolutely convinced that God was on his side. And as God's children, he is on our side as well. Not because we deserve it. Not because everybody here in this building or on this earth always does everything right. He is for us because we're his children. By faith we have received the gift of atonement that Christ gave. We have entered into a covenant with God. And He always loves us and will always seek to move and work in our lives. Every child of God, whether in this country or anywhere on earth, has the promise of God that He cares for them. That He is working for their good. Romans 8.28 may be one of the most misquoted verses of Scripture. It does not say everything works out for the best. It does not say when one bad thing happens, one good thing must happen. But listen to what it does say. And take great hope and life. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Whatever is happening in our life, good, bad, and different, whatever is going on, 
God is working. And he's wanting to take those experiences and mold us more and more into the image of Christ. Verse 29 of this chapter tells us what God's purpose is. That we become conformed to Jesus Christ. So he's working. And if we can learn to trust that, if we can learn, God, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in you because you have proven yourself You have redeemed me. You have made me into something I could not make myself. I trust you. Because you're my father. And you're working out the circumstances of my life for your purpose. If we can trust that, we can overcome our fear. We do not have to be prisoners of fear. Because God is with us. And if we can trust that when we can move to our next lesson, the final lesson that we learn from David in this text. Let us renew our commitments to God in the face of fear. We're his children. Let's commit to that. Let's commit to that, that he is our God. We trust him. And I'm now ready to commit myself into your hands. And in David's case, David made vows to God in the moment of his fears. And very specifically, he said, I'm going to give you a thanksgiving offering. Because David was convinced, confident, that God's ability to intervene and protect him was so certain, I am going to give you a thanksgiving offering. There will be a time I can be and attend a meeting and I can offer you thankfulness. He understood, I'm going to live through this trial and I am going to pay my vow before God. In that moment of fear, David makes an active stand on his faith. He committed himself to serving the Lord actively. I am going to pay the vows I've made to you. Now I want you to listen again to verse 13. David's last word to God in this psalm. Because there's something you might not have caught. I want you to look at it very carefully, okay? As we think of everything David said. Verse 13 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now, there were several times in David's life he delivered delivered him from the lion, from the bear, he delivered him from Goliath, delivering from Saul, all these things. But in the context, did you notice something? David did not say, deliver me, God. David has already asked God to move. David has already said, God, I need your help. But here he said, you have delivered me. You have spared my life. Do you get it? David is so certain that God is going to come through, that he writes about it as if it has already happened. And there are a lot of different places in Scripture this happens. Where somebody seeking God is so confident in what God's going to do, that they just talk about it like it's past tense. David believed God was going to take care of him. David was so sure of God's deliverance that he's saying, It has virtually been accomplished and I know I'm going to 
give this gift to you. So he commits himself with a certainty, whatever happens, God is with me. God will see me through. So what about us? We must release our inability to control the circumstances of our lives into God's hand. There has to come a point in time in my life that I have to say, God, I can't do this. That's one of the reasons I think a lot of people run away from the idea of salvation because to be saved, you have to admit, I can't fix myself. And human pride doesn't like that. We're much more like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable standing at the temple saying, I thank you I'm not like other men like that sinner over there. When we need to be like the sinner, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. I can't do it. Knowing that I have real fears in my life can cripple me. If I look at everything I've ever been afraid in my life, I would probably be about a thousand miles from any of you, huddled in a corner, hopefully having enough supplies, but afraid I won't. The reality is, folks, I cannot do everything to change my life. I cannot, and fear can cripple me. It can cause me to walk through life looking over my shoulder Losing the joy of life. Every time there's a threat that comes, I can become whimpering and, and, and just ineffective for the kingdom of God. When I first got word that I was going to be able to go to a mission trip to China, you guys helped me get there. My family was really excited about it. And then my dad, who was retired Air Force sergeant, had time to think, and he said, Danny, are you really sure you should do this? And I said, Dad, I believe it. God's got us, and we're, he's going to take care of us, and, and I trust whatever happens, God is with me, and I choose not to be afraid. When all different things have happened in my life, I have to come to a place of saying, you know, God is with me. Knowing I cannot change this fact, that I can't take care of everything, can frustrate me. Folks, I don't want to be a prisoner to my fears. I don't want to become useless to the kingdom of God, useless to my family, useless to my com community in which I live because I'm afraid of what might happen. But knowing that there is a God who loves me. And it not it wonderful that he loves us even in the face of the fear? Samuel says David was very much afraid of Achish. Did that cause God to say, okay, David, you blew it. You're not trusting me. You're on your own. No. He loves us in face of our fears. And that prompts me, it should prompt me to commit myself to Him. To claim Him as the Lord of my life. To trust in His strength to carry me through. Now, does that mean nothing bad can ever happen to me? That would be ridiculous. Read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The great hall of fame. Yes, some stopped the mouths of lions. But some were burned and died, sawn asunder. Knowing Jesus doesn't mean I've got a free pass from trouble, but knowing Christ means whatever trouble comes my way, I am never alone. My brothers and sisters in the Lord who will pray for me, 
but I have a father who will walk with me. Remember David in Psalm 23, that beautiful expression, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God doesn't even leave us in the darkest of shadows. So here we are at a point, what do we do with all of the fears that can overwhelm us? We must do the things we know to do in the crisis moments of life. I just love it when I hear people talk about wanting to know the, the will of God. and You go out and buy ten different books on how to discover the will of God. And I once read a man who, who made this statement, when you're wanting to know the will of God, the key is knowing the Word of God. Knowing what the Word says. And the Word tells us a lot of different things. When we are facing struggle and trial, we need to do what we know. And one of the things we know is pray. Pray. Pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling in their times of battle and fear. Pray in our own time of fear. And I believe when, when trouble comes, we at least should pray and seek out, God, am I where you want me to be? Because sometimes we do bring trouble on ourselves, don't we? By walking out of the will of God. So we pray, Lord, am I where I need to be? And if you come to an awareness, I'm not. If you pray David's very brave prayer in Psalm 139, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way within me. If God says, yeah, Danny, there is, then I surrender it. And I ask God to make me into the man I was created and redeemed to be. Believe in the face of fear, we should make peace with God. But pray, God give me wisdom. James tells us, when you fall into diverse trials and you don't know what to do, ask for wisdom. So we pray. The next part brings it from just beyond me. We comfort one another. In times of trouble, we need each other desperately. And that's not always easy for us to admit. Some people face trouble and pain by withdrawing. The worst thing you can possibly do. By just sinking into yourself. Cutting yourself off from support. We need each other. Desperately. And for that to become a reality, each of us here who know Christ, remember what Paul said in Galatians? Bear each other's burdens. Make certain that you're there for someone who needs comfort and strength. Begin to open up your heart. Lord, help me see beyond my immediate fears and pains and help me look at other people. And when they're hurting, help me, Lord, to make certain they're not alone. I know you're with them. But folks, we need each other. We need physical people we can touch and hear and, and respond to. We need to so look at each other. Look at each other. There's a song, Hello in There, that talks about, it, and it, it's sung from the standpoint of two older people and how life has always changed for them and their kids are gone and nothing's the same. And it, it ends with, a, with the idea, calling to the listeners to listen. And the next time you see this, 
little old trembling man, this little old woman there, don't just walk by like nothing's happened. Come and look at them and say hello in there. In other words, do you need a friend? Do you need help? There are people in this building that you know, some you know better than others, who are going to go through struggle and trial. And when they do, don't make them do it alone. Comfort one another. Reminding them. As children of the living God, we're never alone. And then, tell others of the love of God. You see, there are a whole lot of people crippled by fear. I've shared with you before, 75% of the Gulf Coast of Mississippi is unchurched. And a large number of that 75% have never been in church. Some of them, the only time they've ever been in church is for a wedding or a funeral. There are a whole lot of people within the sound of this building who do not know Christ. And are trying to face life's fears on their own. They need to know that God loves them. They say, God doesn't love me. Look at the problems in my life. And you know by now my stock answer. When I doubt God, when I think God doesn't love me because I'm going through stuff, I immediately turn to Romans 5.8. God proved His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, God loves you. He paid the ultimate price that you could have life. Share with them the truth. While you're in pain, there is a God who knows. There is a God who loves. There is a God who will walk with you so that you never have to be alone again. Let's commit to letting people know they can have life in the Lord. And friends, I'm not seeking to give you easy answers today. Why am I not going to offer you an easy answer? Because I simply don't believe in easy answers. Folks, there are no easy answers in the time of facing fear. I can play Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy to you for 24 hours a day and it will not change your circumstance. As a people, we may honestly be afraid and have reasons for fear, just as David did. As individuals, we are faced with a multitude of fears throughout life. And I'm not saying, close your eyes, wish them away, whistle in the dark, and just pretend everything is okay. I'm not asking for something easy. I am actually calling you to do the bravest thing any of us can ever do in this life. Surrender the control of your life over to another. Folks, that has caused a lot of people fear. I'm afraid to do the will of God. He might want me to do something I don't want to do. Surrender your life into His control. Surrender your fears to Him. God, I can't do anything about this. I know that you can. I'm not sure how you're going to work this out, but I do believe your word tells me whatever's happening in my life right now, you are working to change it, to change me. The days and weeks ahead of us may not be easy. Some of the things we fear in this world may actually come true. But as we seek God's face, as we pull together, in the face of fear we can have victory. 
Our Lord hears us and he is with us. Gentleman has talked about his life situation. Matt, Mike Napa. Talked about his boy telling him, Dad, I want my ball. You can play with your ball, but you'll have to go downstairs and get it yourself. And little Tony starts crying. Tony's playroom is filled with everything he loves. Stuffed animals, toys, games that this little four-year-old boy loves to do. He spent hours of time in the playroom downstairs. But to go into the playroom and play, you have to actually go into the room and go to the middle of the room to turn on the light. Tony, you know what's in the playroom. Everything in there is the same in the dark as it is in the light. But Dad, I'm scared of the dark. You now many of us, not most of us, would say, okay, honey, I'll come with you. But this man is trying to help his son. And he says, okay, I'll stay at the top of the stairs so you can hear my voice while you go down. How's that sound? And the tears immediately stopped and a big grin showed up on Tony's face. He got up and bravely started down the stairs. Then part way down, he stopped. And he calls out, Dad? Daddy responds, Tony? Nothing. And he goes down and plays with his Nerf basketball, having a great time. All he needed to overcome his fear was knowing Daddy's there. Daddy's there. And I'm going to be okay. In the face of fears we have in this life, we can't have victory. If we're willing to, first of all, honestly acknowledge Him, just like we had to acknowledge we were sinners before we could be saved, I need to acknowledge, God, there are things out of my control I don't know how to handle, and it scares me. If we're willing to know that God is the cure, God is the one who walks with us. God is the one who is our Father. God is the one who is moving in our lives. And we are willing to commit ourselves into His watch care. We can have victory. So today, I'm asking you, are you willing to surrender your fears? Whatever may be in your life right now that causes you discomfort or maybe even downright terror, are you willing today to say, Lord, I realize I can't do this on my own. But you can. I don't have the strength to just say, I'm, I'm not going to be scared. I want you to notice, when David says, I shall not be afraid, we already know how he got to that place, isn't it? Because I know you're with me. And I know you're on my side. God gave David the courage he needed. So you may have fears today that you need to release to God. So I'm asking you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Right now, I'm just if, if there is fear in your life and you know it, and you want to begin experiencing that victory, if you want to begin exercising the faith that reminds you that God is in control, God is with you,